It's show 162 of the RIM Pro Report. Today, the latest industry news and Anthony Pearlgood. This show is sponsored by our good friends at O'Neill Software. A few months ago at their partner conference, O'Neill recognized Restore Storage Group of the UK as its record center of the year in Europe, Middle East, and Africa. Restore does some pretty innovative things with O'Neill systems, including creating dashboards, third-party application interfaces, and a whole lot more. So congrats to Restore for this achievement fact is they count on O'Neill software to make it all happen. And if you want to learn more about that software, head on over to O'Neillsoft.com. In the words of the much maligned mayor of Toronto, Canada, we're going to have some fun today. Welcome to the RIM Pro Report. The one and only weekly broadcast for the RIM support services industry. Bustling with news, views, and the latest updates. This show is full of interesting information. So take notes. Now here's your host, Tom Adams. Hey, 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 it's me and we're back. I just got back from Amsterdam after 10 days. Actually, Becky and I attended the European Information Management Conference hosted by Prism International and Nade Europe. During the conference, I had a chance to do something kind of innovative. It was uh, actually during the keynote session the first morning, we did something called RimPro Live. I interviewed three executives of European companies one at a time and then actually had a chance to do a roundtable conversation with them. Today and over the next three weeks, I'm going to replay those interviews as well as the roundtable discussion for you. This week, I'll replay the first interview I did in that session with Anthony Pearlgood, the Managing Director of PHS Data Solutions. Next week, I'll replay the interview I did with Mark Delay, Managing Director of Iron Mountain, France. And the following week, uh, you get to hear the interview I did with Dennis Barnett, the CEO of Oasis Group. These were great interviews, and the whole point of the interviews was to get each of these leaders' perspectives on what is happening in Europe and how they see it. But what I found extremely beneficial in the interviews was the additional knowledge that they shared. And so even if you don't run your business in Europe, what they have to say and what they shared, I think, was extremely valuable and meaningful. So uh, first up today is going to be my interview with Anthony Pearlgood. But before I do that, I want to get you caught up on the latest industry news. Cintas and the Ponemon Institute released the results of a recent survey uh, of over 700 individuals in the mid to large companies about their document destruction practices. Amazingly, here's what they discover. A third of them do not have a policy for the secure destruction of confidential documents. 51% of them say they have no policy for hard drive destruction. 55% of the, the those surveyed train their employees on secure disposal, but only 38% of those say they think it actually helps. More interesting things that can only help your cause are included in that survey. So you can check that out at either the Ponemon Institute or Cintas or a couple other places where it showed up as a press release. So uh, check that one out. Nade announced some news about their Shred School. In 2014, Shred School will expand its event locations to 10 cities, and, and eight of those are brand new. So attendees can expect updated curriculum in the new season. Nade also announced that they are adding a new program called Sales Mastermind Groups. These groups will support Shred School graduates with ongoing personalized coaching and support. So that's pretty cool stuff. 
On another NAID note, it looks like the Nebraska legislature has requested that NAID provide them with sample language for the proposed data destruction bill. This opportunity came as a result of Omaha-based Data Shield Corps' Brian Gubbles, who secured the opportunity to testify in the whole legislative process. So big kudos to Brian on getting heard and opening an opportunity for Nate to play a role in this new legislation. Well, that's all the news I've got for now. If you've got some news you want to share, please let me know. Alrighty, I'm going to queue up the first part of my three interviews from Amsterdam last week. This one with Anthony Pearlgood. Hold tight while I do. Anthony Pearlgood is the Managing Director of Data Solutions at PHS Data Shred Records Management and Capital Capture. Welcome. Please welcome him. Anthony, it's a pleasure to have you here today. Pleasure to be here, thank you. And uh, we can hear you okay? All right. So, Anthony, why don't you give me your records and information management services journey. Give me a sense in a condensed form how you got from whenever you started in this game to where you are today. Okay. Um, PHS is a, a large office services provider. Um, and if we go back 10 or 12 years, everyone thought that we just clean the toilets. Well, we do everything apart from clean the toilets. Um, and client base of maybe 150, 200,000 customers. And at the time, the board thought, what could we do more to expand the business? So we had this large client base across a sector of SME and large companies. Um, and started adding business services that they thought would be appropriate to the customers. Um, and where it comes into to sort of information management is in 2005, we acquired our first uh, security shredding business. And in 2006, PHS acquired my business. I ran an independent business based in London, offering security shredding services. Um, and I asked me, along with my two colleagues who are here with me today, to build the business up into a, a national footprint. So when PHS enter a market, they don't enter it just to be a player, they enter it to become either number one or number two in the marketplace. So we grew the business um, over the last six, seven years um, into a position where today we process around 65,000 tonnes of paper. Uh, we provide on and off-site shredding across the UK. And then in 2008, we got into the record storage business relatively slowly. We made, a, made an acquisition of a business that had maybe 400,000 boxes. Um, and then during 2011-12, that really expanded um, to a point where today we have maybe 3 million boxes. So in terms of being, uh, in terms of the recalls and high mountains of this world, we're, we're a relatively small player, but we're very ambitious to grow that in the UK. Um, and then we recognise probably the longevity of the record storage business is, is not going to be around forever as people go paperless or paper light. Um, so we looked at other areas where we could um, add value in the kind of data space. So um, six months ago we acquired a business that was heavily into scanning, workflow, digitisation of people's uh, administration processes. And, and we see a, a very big potential growth in that. So, uh, so that's where we are today. The, the total PHS business um, has a turnover of around 450 million pounds, about 500 million euros, um, and uh, our data section is about 50 million pounds. 
All right. So uh, you have how many shredding operations now? Uh, we have about a, uh, 12 facilities around the UK um, where we offer on and off-site shredding. Okay. So we took the decision pretty early on in our growth to say to you know, offer the customers what they want. So we don't pre you know, predict what they want. We'll offer them whichever service best suits their needs. Okay, so back in the day before PHS bought you, you, you and your partners had a shredding business. Yeah, and we offered both services okay. back then, back in the 90s and the early 2000s. We were offering both services, and we've certainly seen a growth in the mobile shredding side of, of the business in relative terms. So the shredding business is the primary driver right now at PHS? Uh, it's definitely the largest business of the three businesses. Okay. It, it accounts for... 50 to 60% of the total, um, and we definitely see growth potential in, in that business. We see growth potential in all our, our data businesses. We're probably most excited about the growth in our, our workflow and our scanning and capture business, um, because I think that business thrives in a, in a tight economy or in, a, you know, in a, thri a thriving economy. So are you finding that the shredding business is is bringing clients to you and then you're moving into the other space? Tell me a little bit about... Yeah, I think it's fair to say that we have um, a much higher number of, of shredding customers. Records customers tend to be much higher value anyway, so typically even if the turnover is matched, we would have a, a, a lot more shredding customers. The average shredding customer probably spends 2,000 euros a year, um, whereas the average records customer might be 20,000. Um, just in very rough terms. So we have a lot more shredding customers. So our challenge, which doesn't sound that difficult, but actually is harder than you would imagine, is to try and cross-sell all of our services to all of our customers. So with a business, the PHS group has 17 separate divisions. So trying to cross-sell across that is virtually impossible. But we're trying to cross-sell across our three services. It's definitely gaining some traction. And, we, and you find that a lot of shredding customers, be it a small legal practice or a larger accountancy practice, will have the need for all of our services. So are, are you selling in each of those three major categories, shredding records and uh, scanning and capture, are you selling those from the same sales reps? Um, we do. We have cross-trained all of our sales team. Okay. Um, so we have a sales force of uh, maybe 60 people. Um, so that covers everything from telesales, where we'd, we'd pick up smaller shredding and scanning opportunities, and we would generate leads for records management opportunities. Um, a field sales force of um, up to maybe 20 people, um, and they're cross-trained to sell all services. And then we have a, a band of maybe 10 dealing with the larger opportunities. And, and typically, the sale process for the larger opportunities would be different for, for shredding as it would for records or scanning. Right. Shredding would be maybe 50 or 60% comes through third-party customers, typically facilities management companies, um, whereas records and scanning business comes to us directly. So, I mean, our challenge is to try and move shredding away from being a commodity, away from waste, and more into the data arena, right. because otherwise you just dumb it down and it becomes a, a commodity. Then people say, you know, you're paying £20 for a bin of waste. How much are you paying for a bin of shredding? Well, we never like to go down that route. We try and talk right. about all the value and all the security and all the other angles that we, that we promote the business on. So are you finding... Uh, in that cross-sell, are there particular categories or particular client uh, or verticals, customer verticals that are particularly responding to that kind of messaging? Um, yeah, I think there's, there's 
drivers within certain customers' industries. So if we look at the health sector, for example, um, in the UK, they've uh, kind of stated a, an aim to be paperless within five years. Well, most people kind of think that's not going to happen, but it's a, it's a pretty bold statement. So if they, be, if they achieve 60% of that, 50% of that, there's still an element of success about that. So we find that our health customers, who are perhaps we're storing vast numbers of records for, they're looking to digitize their day-to-day -day records. Um, and once you've digitized something, you need to shred it as well. So that's kind of where we offer the joined-up approach. We're not too precious about whether we do the whole range of service for a customer or if a customer wants to pick off a, a menu of services. Once you've got into a customer, I think you can expand what you do for them um, by, by you know, being a good, credible, great supplier to them. So healthcare seems to be driving scanning business, but are you finding other verticals that are, are particularly responsive? Yeah, I mean, I think we, I mean, our core sectors probably overlap in lots of, uh, in the three different businesses. So our, apart from healthcare, legal, financial insurance would be, um, would be areas which are important. Um, I think particularly in the financial arena, despite the recession, people often find that they want to be more security conscious in a recession. So that goes across the whole spectrum right. of the data services they offer. So, and they're very competitive with each other as well. So yeah. we, you know, we might try and play them off against one, one another and this company's doing X, you should be doing Y. Right. So uh, yeah, and, and they like that because they're very competitive in their own marketplace. So they'll look to any competitive advantage they can give. Right. So if, and, and you have to realize that I'm asking questions that generally nobody likes to share. So I'm, I'm not asking you to give away everything, but, um, I, and I'm appreciative that you're answering these questions. But if, if we had the luxury to dig into some of your marketing metrics and we could look at those, um, what would you say, generally speaking, are some of the top drivers of lead flow? What, what's bringing you clients? Um, well, I think reputation is very important. I think we work very hard to uh, give great customer services. And, you know, I think sometimes companies get too wrapped up in their strategy and the features of their service and not the benefits to the customer. And I think we really focus on that. We've got a very strong customer care team. But customer care comes from everybody in the business. So, you know, the directors right. through to the drivers, everybody is very passionate about giving good customer care. So we don't lose very much business. Um, and therefore we gain a lot by reputation and by re referral. So, you know, that's important. It's difficult in a larger business to kind of capture that mood of being a, a local company, but that's how we see ourselves. We see ourselves as a local company on a national mm. basis. Um, you know, I think generally in business, I've, I've run and owned a small business and then I've worked in a much larger business. Large businesses are always trying to act small and small businesses are always trying to act big. And you know, there's no coincidence there that you know, we're right. trying to act uh, as a local business on, on a national basis. So that's really important to us. Um, you know, the, the, the other key areas of, of marketing, the, you know, Google's still a very important avenue for us. Yeah. And uh, you know, I think you get out of it what you put into it. So if you've got the greatest website in the world but you don't promote it well enough, well, it should be the other way around. If you're gonna do one thing or the other, you know, if you've got a fairly basic website but you promote it really well, that's better than having the greatest website and not promoting it. So, and also making sure that you know, we, on a daily basis, we look at our keywords, we look at the way that we promote ourselves um, and everything we do on, on Google. And that's still a, a really important part of our business. And, and trade shows, uh, you know, I'm still a big fan. 
you know, it's difficult to measure them on a short-term basis. So, you know, people that hold the purse strings often say, what's the return on your investment? Well, you know, I can probably look back to every trade show we've done a year behind and say, we picked up those customers and we would not have got those customers if we hadn't have been at those trade shows. So, so connecting the dots, you talked about being a local company at a national level. Are trade shows, are you doing those on a local basis? Is that uh, what you're... We do both. We, yeah, okay. we do some locally, so we might support um, chambers of commerce, that type of thing. Um, and then we do national exhibitions. We do specific exhibitions relative to our vertical sector. So we might do a you know, specific healthcare technology show or a legal show or something like that. And then there's more general facility shows. I mean, we would like to take shredding out of the facilities arena and put it more into the information and management right. arena right. Um, for the reasons I said before, that we want to give it more value rather than less value. Right. So as I look at your website, as I looked at some of the stuff that you're doing, one of the things I noticed is that you're particularly focused or there's an importance on accreditation, on certifications. Uh, tell me a little bit about the importance of that and, and how your clients or customers are demanding that from you. Give me a sense of the importance of that whole certification accreditation and which sure. ones of those seem particularly important. Sure. Well, I think for our large customers, it almost goes without saying that we would have those accreditations mm -hmm. in place. Um, so those, the typical ones would be the, the quality standards 9,000, 14,000, 27,000. So the larger companies would almost take it as a given. The smaller companies are not so concerned. Um, it's more about protecting their reputation. I think that's the, the message we try and get across to them. Um, we've taken our accreditations, to, you know, we've probably run out of space on our headed paper now, but we've, <laughs> we've taken it to, to, you know, further. So we have right. specific customers, might be government, where we have to have some staff vetted to go into buildings, or we might vet all of our staff in that particular depot to that standard. Okay. Um, and then because of our passion for customer services, we went through the Institute of Customer Services, which is, a, I believe, a, a European-wide organization accreditation, and we achieved the service mark, and, and only uh, around 100 companies in the UK have got the service mark. Um, and that was a really uh, great process because they judge your ability to pass on, the, uh, on a survey. So they survey your staff and they survey your customers. And if hmm. you achieve greater than 70%, then you pass. If, if you don't, you don't. It's as simple as that. So wow. you, you, know, you really have to be good in the terms of employee engagement and customer satisfaction. Um, and a great part of the process was that probably 20 staff around the business took it upon themselves to do projects to help improve the performance of the company. Um, and it was, a, it was a really good process and it kind of showed if, if we needed any further proof that we've got some great people around the business at all levels. So there was you know, people in warehouses that were volunteering to do this and senior managers. Um, and we've kind of changed our business on the basis of that. We've, we've implemented some new processes of how we look after new customers, for example, which I think you know, is really important. So if, is there one in that particular set of certifications that has been, you just talked about the service mark, it, do you think that one's contributed to, to thinking differently and, and new client acquisition, or is that just made you a better company? Um, I think a bit of both. I think we, it, it's made us a better business, but obviously a better business is what our customers think of us. Right. And so, you know, our customers hopefully think that we're, we maybe have gone from a 7 out of 10 to an 8 out of 10, and, right. you know, we aspire to be a 10 out of 10 on everything we do. Um, and we're always looking for what the next thing is to, to take us to the next level. 
I, I think, and I suspect you believe that uh, you are more than your clients and you're more than your customers, but your, your external vendors contribute a lot to what you do. Can you tell me about the, the work that you do and uh, the vendors you use to support, not necessarily which ones, but tell me uh, the importance of your vendor base. Yeah, I mean, I think that probably the, the critical one for us is in our shredding business. Um, we operate, I guess, 60 or 70 mobile shredding trucks and probably double that number of off-site collection trucks. Um, so the supply of the shredding trucks is really important to us that we get the right, right, right bit of machinery. You know, I think you forget the price. You know, you remember the quality long after you forget the price. Right. So sometimes it's, you know, better to pay a bit mm. more for the, the right quality. Um, so certainly that would be an important part of our supply. And then even, you know, items that, items that will be customer facing. So our consoles, our bins, our containers, it's important to us that we work with a company that's long-standing, experience, quality. You know, price is obviously important, right. but it's not the be-all and end-all. So, right. you know, we would probably mark a supplier on maybe five or six different criteria. One of those would be price, um, but, but certainly, you know, quality and, and ability to meet our demands. We may win a large contract and we need a thousand consoles in a week. Um, wow. You know, so... You know, we, we need a supplier that's going to recognise that and work with us to right. stockhold and, and achieve that. So I think in the records business, it's perhaps the, the key driver for us is the property strategy. Um, and our aim going forward is more um, larger units, bringing the unit cost down so that we can compete in the bigger arena. Right. Yeah, no, that's good. So you've done a lot of work through acquisition. I mean, you've done a lot of growth through acquisition. Um, what are the most important con indicators and considerations you have when, when considering an acquisition? Okay. Um, I mean, certainly within the, the data side, we've made probably more than 25 acquisitions over the last five or six years. So most of those acquisitions have been good, profitable businesses where they've had the same culture and the same outlook as we've had. And that's really important. I, I always treat a, 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 an acquisition of a business the same as I would an acquisition of a customer. Hmm. So we go and try and build a relationship, get to understand what's driving them, what, you know, what, what's motivating them and whether they're serious. Um, and once we've built that relationship, we then start talking about some business um, in, in a similar way as you would with a customer. So we look for acquisitions in probably three different areas. We might look for a, a, a blockbuster deal that's going to revolutionise the, the business. And we have a certain pot of money within the business where we can acquire businesses. But if a, if a, if a knockout deal comes along, we can go to our shareholders. And you know, that doesn't happen very often, but they would consider that on its mm. own merits. Um, we might consider a small infill um, acquisition where we can pick the business up and put it into one of our existing facilities. And that can often be very profitable. Um, and often we can, you know, we can be probably the best buyer in town in some of those situations if we've got a facility close to where the, where the, right. where the other acquisition is. Uh, and then thirdly, if we've got a geographical hole in our, in our, our makeup, mm. we would look to acquire a good profitable business to fill that gap. Okay. Okay. So, but, it, you know, most of the businesses we've bought have been good profitable businesses with the right accreditations, the right people. And I think that's reflected in our our local business nationally is that most of the people we've got around the business are people that have worked for the original business for many years. Right. Um, typically the owner might not stay, but the number two and all the staff, you know, we, we want to get them staying because they know the customer's requirements, they're close to the customers, and so it's important to us that they do stay and they're, you know, they feel empowered, they feel enthusiastic about the future, 
and they feel motivated that there's perhaps more opportunities for them individually within a bigger company than there were within a smaller company. Right, that's great. So if I took away your business, I took away your immediate access to capital, and I deposited you in a brand new city in, say, the UK, in, in your case, uh, and your only option was to build a records and information management services business, give me your simple deployment strategy. What, what are you going to do? Okay. I would probably um, research the market to find out who the independent businesses were, go and meet with them, go and find out uh, what were their motivations and strategies were, and I would probably look to link up with a, a good family-run business that had experience, um, but perhaps was lacking in sales and marketing ability. Hmm. And, uh, and there's a number of those businesses around, and they would welcome the input of new sales to their business. So effectively start off by building a business, concentrating on the sales and marketing side, and leave somebody else to look on the operational side. So I think in the records business, that would probably be my primary option. On the shredding business, slightly easier. You can go out and buy or lease a mobile shredding truck, and then you're in business. You don't need a facility to, to right. bail paper. You can use a, any number of third-party sites who will probably be fairly kind to you on paper prices. Um, so you could get into the shredding business pretty, pretty easily, I think, with a mobile truck. Um, but on the and so you side, would definitely do it, though? Would, would you definitely yeah, do it? Yeah. All right. Yeah, I All think right. it would be a, a So good last talent. question, because I, I realize uh, we're, we're, we've talked a lot of, about a lot of stuff here, but uh, rumor has it you're a great saxophone player. <laughs> You're not going to bring one out, are you? <laughs> so I think to help everybody um, really understand the saxophone, what's the best saxophone recording there is? CD, album, what would you recommend as the, the ultimate saxophone uh, That's a tough question. So I would, I'd have to sort of uh, probably pull you up on the great bit. I mean, I'm, I do play the saxophone and uh, we're... You get to a certain age in life and you think you can't be surprised by birthday presents anymore. And about four years ago, this great big box turned up for my wife and, uh, and there it was, a saxophone, which I'd always said I wanted to play and there was the challenge to go and play it. And, and she was so naive about instruments and everything else that when she went to the shop, she said, is it coming in any other colours? <laughs> so, uh, so uh, you know, I really enjoyed it. I, I wouldn't say I was particularly a kind of a jazz aficionado, but I think I, I, go, I have a lesson every Friday at 6 o'clock, and to me, that's a nice end to a week. Um, and, you know, I can play what I can play. I'm certainly not a public player, um, but I do like listening to great sort of saxophone players. And, uh, you know, it's a kind of a release and something I can do for myself and, and try and get better at. Very cool. Well, Anthony, thank you for sharing. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. cool stuff you know anthony's a really smart guy i had a chance to talk to him not just during the interview process but i got to know him a little bit more in some of the peripheral um sessions and um open times during the conference and i gotta say guys got it going on so I'm, I'm really grateful you got a chance to hear the conversation i had with him at the conference last week don't forget that we're going to have mark delay of iron mountain france on next week he, he had some really great stuff to say as well so be sure to join us then 
Finally, special thanks to my good friends at O'Neill Software. I had a chance to catch up with the UK sales team at the conference last week. If you're based in Europe, the Middle East, or Africa, Grant and Vanessa are who you need to speak to. Really great people who want to help you and your record center uh, build a system that supports what you need from a software perspective. And uh, you can learn more about them and the software at O'Neillsoft.com. That's it for us. We are out of here for this week. We'll be back next week. We are gone. See ya. Bye. Thanks for joining us on the Rim Pro Report with Tom Adams. If you enjoyed the show, please tell others. Our website is www.rimproreport.com. This broadcast is produced and hosted by Flourish Press Inc. Join us again soon.